Welcome to the Milestone Church Podcast. Whether you are at home, on the road, or at work, we hope you find this message encouraging and helpful for your life. You can watch other messages just like this one on our website at milestonechurch.com slash messages. Once again, we want to welcome you to Milestone Church. I want to welcome those of you at our Hazlitt campus, our McKinney campus, those of you watching online, and those of you here at Keller in our additional seating. Would you join me in welcoming them? Good to have you all with us. We haven't had a chance to meet yet. My name is Jed. I'm part of our teaching team. So excited to be continuing this unshakable series. I hope you got a guide. I hope you've been following along. I hope you even got your group as we've been preparing and thinking about this. Really, our team for six months has been thinking about this and praying about it and really excited to share it with you. So it's so great to hear how you're learning and growing and small groups are happening. I talked to our small groups team and and there's so many cool stories. They told me that there's been several, you know, hosts who are like, I don't know if I know how to do this. I'm a little nervous, but they're like, God's going to help you. And so they, they stepped out to lead. And even with an ice storm and everything else that's happening, they're like, it was amazing. People showed up and we connected. It was great. I heard about a, a couple that were like, we used to lead small groups. Now we have little kids and we're not sure how that's going to work. And we got to get a babysitter and all that thing. And the whole house will turn into a zoo. And it was a zoo, but God moved in the zoo, and it was powerful. And, and then I heard about Heather, and Heather has a, a small group with ladies, and one of the ladies in her group didn't have a guide. So her husband, Chad, stepped up to the rescue and was like, see, honey, I told you that four by four Jesus told me to get, there was a reason for it. So Chad and Heather jumped in the four by four and in the snow delivered the guide so that their group could keep going. You guys do what you always do at all of our campuses. Husbands, let's just say, we should probably have a deal with the dealership at this point. Um, if you want a four by four, tell your wife you're gonna use it for Jesus and uh, you, you never know what might happen. We had a guy on our team who was like, he's like, Pastor Jed, I got a truck this year and I had a snow button and I was waiting all year and then it happened this week so I was out all week pressing the snow button, sliding around. I don't know if that's good or not, but he was out there and so... Here we are, you know? You guys do what you do, and so thank you for being a great church and taking steps and helping people grow and learn, because this concept of the kingdom of God is so important. It's a really big deal. I, I walked with God for a while before I understood how important it is, and I'm still growing and still learning. Sometimes there are challenges in the language, right? So like, in the Hebrew language, the word kingdom, which means the rule and reign of God, when God brings his kingdom, he's not talking about a physical location or a castle or a place. He's talking about when God comes in his kingdom, it's almost more like a verb, God kingdoms. We don't have a word for that. But when God comes and his kingdom comes, the rule and reign of God follows with it. Things are how they're supposed to be. You feel peace, you feel joy, you feel security, you feel confidence, you see God move. And I don't know about you, but I would love more of that in my life in my home, in my community, and in the world. So we're studying this, and we're going on this journey together. Thank you for taking steps. This may be your first time. You may be at one of our campuses, and you're like, I don't even know what's happening. Well, just take some steps and listen to the message and get a guide, and we're going to help you as we learn this together. Our theme verse is Hebrews 12, 28. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe. Isn't it good news that the kingdom of God, though it faces resistance, though it faces challenges, 
though it lives in a broken and fallen world, it cannot be shaken. And the reason why that's so good is so much of our lives can be shaken. Your life, my life, they shake all the time. Your work situation shakes. Maybe your health shakes. I'm sure many family relationships this week stuck in the house together. There was some shaking. There's shaking in, in when we think about our lives and was I supposed to be here and it wasn't supposed to turn out this way and we all have to deal with a world, a, a country that's shaking all the time. So we look to a kingdom that can't be shaking. I, I think for us, a lot of times, if you're anything like me, maybe those of you in Hazlitt can relate to this, it's like, Shaking is one thing, but I'm the kind of person who likes to try and figure things out. And I feel like, well, why is it shaking and maybe I can fix it? The problem is when stuff starts shaking that you didn't see coming, you can't see it shaking and it starts shaking in such a way you realize, man, it's really serious. I don't know if you've ever been on an airplane when it starts to shake. I'm not talking about like the little cute turbulence where it's like, put your tray tables up. I'm talking about the turbulence that's so intense that the, the, those masks that they're always telling us about drop out of the top. I don't know if you've ever been on a flight where the masks drop. The plane drops and the masks drop, and then you say to yourself, uh-oh, I got a problem. And then even if you're not a prayer, like, Lord, are we good? Because I may be about to see you, right? Like, I've been sharing that this week, and everybody's got a plane story. They're like, you wouldn't believe what happened to me. Oh, I believe it. But it's amazing in that moment, you realize so much of our lives we don't control. I was thinking about it this week. I've had a lot of moments in my life where there's been all kinds of shaking. Went to college in California in 94, we had a 7.4 earthquake, the Northridge earthquake. If you're wondering what that's like, it's like huge chunks of the freeway break up and disappear. And so I was in college and I was in a house, it was an old Victorian house, about four stories. I was on the third floor. I was on the bottom of a bunk bed that was rickety and my, my bunk mate was a six foot five, real loud, boisterous guy. I'm a heavy sleeper. So I wake up, if you don't know, in a 7.4 earthquake, the road looks like an ocean wave. It sounds like a train. Everything is shaking. Everything flies off your shelves. I'm a deep sleeper. I woke up into a chaos of dark outside, transformers exploding, uh, uh, everything flying off the shelves, a rickety bunk bed with a bunk mate above me screaming at the top of his lungs, game over, man, it's the big one, we're going down. <laughs> so I'm still in therapy for that, and um, <laughs> that's not the only time things were shaking. Uh, a couple years ago for our anniversary, my wife and I, we went on vacation. What we didn't know was that a Category 4 hurricane was going to join us on vacation. And so we were at the resort, and they told us, you know what, we're going to just relocate you. I was like, I'm nervous about being relocated. What they didn't tell us was they were putting us in a storm shelter, like a cement hallway with hurricane shutters with about 200 of our closest friends. And we spent the whole night with 200-mile-an-hour winds battering the shelter. There was a lot of shaking that night, but not the kind you'd hope for on an anniversary trip. You're paying attention, right? Okay. Like, did he just say that? Yeah, I, I did. I said it. Um, okay, I'll move on. This week during this ice storm, there was more shaking. You know, I was in the house and uh, I was like, man, I got to get out. And so I went out to check the mail just to see if that whole thing the post people tell us is true, that they deliver and everything. And I was like, what's happening out there in the outside world? So I went to the mailbox and 
What I found in the mailbox, I have to tell you, it shook me. It did. Um, I thought it was a mistake. I happened to receive this little beauty in the mail from the AARP, <laughs> the American Association of Retired People. I was like, this is a mistake. It's a computer error. There's no way this is for me. Although I am getting a little older. I don't know if you saw the schoolhouse rock turned 50 this week. I was like, dear Lord, three still the magic number, I hope. And <laughs> conjunction, junction, what's your function? Anyways, if you remember that, you remember. And so I bring it in the house, and my two boys, as they always do, are like, Dad, that's not a mistake. You're old. They're like, don't worry. You had a good run. It's okay. We'll take it from here. I was like, guys, settle down. I'm not done yet. And my mom said, this is really true. My mom said, I can't believe I have a son who's about to turn 50. I said, Mom, I don't know if you remember this or not. I'm the youngest. You have a son who's 50. <laughs> that really happened. She said, good point. That really happened. Sorry, bro, uh, she forgot you. Anyways, um, <laughs> lots of stuff in life shakes. It's difficult. We don't see it coming. It's challenging. We don't know what to do with it. We have blind spots. We, we, we have things that we, we can't see, we don't understand. And even if we could understand, we don't want to understand them. There's a whole field of study around this. It's called, it's called cognitive bias. One of those brilliant thinkers, the guy who won the, the, the Nobel Prize, he's a behavioral economist. His name is Daniel Kahneman. He's like, there's more than 200 types of cognitive bias. One of them, the familiar one, is confirmation bias, which basically means if you think something's true, even when you see clear evidence that points to the opposite, you're like, no, nah, I don't believe it. I'm sticking with what I got. And the fascinating thing is Kahneman and all of his brilliance, they ask him, what can us as human beings do about this? He said, basically, not too much. You're not really going to change. It just helps you to be aware that you have these blind spots. But the good news of Jesus and his kingdom is that you can change. And that the life you've lived up to this point can end and a new life can begin in him through the power of his kingdom. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to John chapter three. If you didn't bring a Bible, it's okay. Whether you're online or in McKinney or however, you're maybe in additional seating, I'm gonna read the passage. It's also there in your guides that we gave you, the whole passage that I'm about to read you. Very familiar. If you're not familiar with the Bible, John three is maybe one of the most converse, famous conversations in all of scripture. It's where we get John three sixteen, which we're gonna read in just a moment. We already sang it. It's the verse most people learn first. It's the, probably the most well-known verse, but I want to give you a little context for what leads up to that verse. See, the Gospel of John, appropriately enough, was written by a man named John, one of Jesus' closest friends. So close, in fact, he gave himself a nickname as the disciple that Jesus loved. I don't know if that's allowed, but he did it, and God let him keep it in the Bible. And so he was very close and John's gospel, maybe you've heard us here at Milestone say, if you're just starting to read your Bible, start in the gospel of John. And the reason we say that is because John takes the most time to explain not only what happened, but why it happened. He gives us personal, relational insights into what Jesus said and did and what it meant. The other gospels are filled with the word kingdom. John only mentions it three times, and two of them are in the story we're about to read. So John not only tells us what happened, but he reflexively and pastorally shows us why it happened and what Jesus meant in those moments. So it's very helpful to think about and to read. Now this story, like I said, is with a man named Nicodemus. And so we're gonna pick up the story here in John chapter three, verse one. Look at what it says. It says this. There was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member 
of the Jewish ruling council. So he's an expert. He's an expert in Jewish law. He's an expert in Jewish religion, which were really those two were inextricably tied. See, and so he had a series of assumptions about what it meant to have a relationship with God. I think this is valuable for us. Before really we go any further, I want to stop for a moment, and I want you to consider this. What do we think about? If I were to ask you, how does someone get in on the kingdom of God? How does someone have a relationship with God? How does that even work? Well, I think most people would say one of these three different ways is they think how, it, how a relationship with God really works. The first one would be that we gain spiritual information. See, Nicodemus was an expert, which means he'd spent a lot of time developing information. He knew a bunch of stuff. But I don't know if you've ever known this. I've been around people who knew a lot of stuff about religion and about the Bible, but it really didn't seem like they really had much of a relationship with God. It's not about who knows the most. You can know a lot of things about God and still not have your life impacted by God. The second way people try to have a relationship with God is they try to do religious activity. If we go to enough church services, maybe I'll, I'll serve the poor. Maybe I'll go on a missions trip. And like information, there's value in all of those things. But none of those things are the basis by which God has a relationship with you. You can serve the poor and you can go to a million church services. And you can even go on missions trips without having a relationship with God. So it's a valuable piece, but it's not how we get a relationship with God. But the third one, I struggle to find really a redemptive piece of the third one. And honestly, as I get older, it's probably the most common one that I encounter when I talk to people and I ask them, what kind of a relationship do you have with God? Most people turn inwardly. I call it personal spiritual expression. What they say is, Jet, I appreciate the Bible and your pastor or whatever, but for me, See, I believe God is this, and I, I don't believe there's a God who's out there who's judging people, and, and I, I believe that all paths lead to the same place, and in my heart, I really just believe that if God is out there, here's, he'd want me to be happy, he, he, he moves in mysterious ways, and any other kinds of things that they make up out of their own selves to justify why they do what they do, and, and, and to really just to, to look inward instead of to look to God. I'm sure you've encountered this. Culture all around us tells us, you should do it. Just listen to your heart. You don't need anyone else. Don't let anyone else tell you anything. Trust yourself. Follow your heart. It sounds so noble. It's terrible advice. Because I don't know about you, most of us, if we just follow our heart and follow our feelings, we end up in a ditch. We serve a Jesus who doesn't want us to live our lives in a ditch. He comes and rescues us from those places, which brings us back to Nicodemus. Look what it says. You, you may have not noticed this. It says here in verse 2, he came to Jesus at night. Why did he come at night? Well, Jesus was preaching and teaching and out in public and in the synagogue during the day. Lots of people could see him, but he came at night. He came at night because most scholars would tell you that he came because he didn't want anybody to know he was meeting with Jesus. He didn't want the other Pharisees. He didn't want the ruling elite who already had animosity with Jesus to know this Nicodemus was talking to him. But I, I love what Nicodemus does. Maybe you've done this before. He says, look at this. He says, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher. Wait, hang on a second. Who's we, Nicodemus? He's by himself. He's worried about what his friends would think, but he's like, me and the boys figured it out, Jesus. We kind of talked about it, and here's what we decided. 
We decided that you're a teacher who's come from God for no one could perform the signs that you were doing if Jesus were not with them. You could hear the pride in Nicodemus's tone. I love this because Jesus does what he always does. Jesus is complex. He's not just one thing. He's the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, but he's also the lion of Judah. And not like a, not like a old, toothless, clawless lion that's tired in a zoo somewhere. I'm talking about straight up, like on the savanna, when you see him, you're already dead kind of lion. That's, that's who he is. Look what Jesus says to Nicodemus. Jesus replied, very truly I tell you, no one, Nicodemus, could see the kingdom of God unless they're born again. If I was standing there, I'd have just been like, oh snap, Jesus just said it. I always thought this was like this beautiful, kind, kind of loving conversation. It's pretty hostile. He basically says to him, Jesus, me and the religious elite have decided you're a teacher. Here's what, just in case you're wondering, we are affirming you. And, and, and Jesus basically says, I appreciate that, Nicodemus. You think you're smart. You think you see all kinds of things. You don't see anything. Because in order to see anything, it's not about being prideful. It's not about your information. It's not about your activity. It's about humbling yourself and being born again. Nicodemus says what any of us would say. How can someone be born again? How can someone be born when they're old? Nicodemus asks. Surely they can't enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. He's like, what are you talking about, Jesus? This is crazy. And they go back and forth. At one point, Jesus says, wait a minute, Nicodemus, you're supposed to be all of Israel's teacher and you can't even understand the very basic things. I love this about Jesus. See, he's engaged, he's loving, he's giving Nicodemus an opportunity, but he's also keeping the standard high. He's challenging him. He basically at one point says to him, you can't understand the basics. What if I were to go deeper? What if I were to go into the deeper things of God? Would you even be able to understand that, Nicodemus? And then you, you can read it in your guide. You, for the sake of time, I'm gonna skip down. Look at verse 16, the one we all know. This is good news. God so loved the world. So loved, that was his motivation. Why did he do it? Because he loved us. Who did he love? Those who already obeyed, those who did the right things? No, the whole world. That he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him, not whoever knows the most, not whoever does the most, but whoever simply believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Do you know, though, it doesn't stop in verse 16. He continues, God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, that's good news, but to save the world through him. Buckle up, though, it's gonna get a little bumpy. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. How gracious and loving and good is God. What a low bar, really. All we have to do is believe, put our trust and our hope in him, and he'll receive us into his kingdom. But whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only son. Like, Jed, what is he saying? Well, he's really simplifying things. He's breaking it down really till we only have two options. Our first option is to say, all of my hope is in Jesus and his kingdom. That's the only hope I have. My hope as a pastor, not the religious things I do or how much Bible I know. My hope 
is that Jesus knows me and loves me and that he sees me and on the basis of his goodness and on the basis of his death and resurrection, he receives me into his kingdom. That's the only hope I have. My hope's not in the government. My hope's not in the economy. My hope is in Jesus and his kingdom. That's the only hope I have. That's one option. The other option, now, Nicodemus didn't say this. We wouldn't say this. I don't know just about anybody who would say this to Jesus' face, but the problem is so many of us believe it in our heart. The second, op the second option is to say, I have a better way. I like my plan. I like my kingdom. I trust my friends. I'm doing it my way. When scholars talk about what it means to be a part of the kingdom, they use this word, allegiance. What does that word mean? It means your commitment, it means your loyalty, it means your identification. When Jesus says, do you receive my kingdom, will you receive my kingdom, what he's really saying is he's saying, how do you identify your place? Is this follower of Jesus thing something that you add on to the main things about you? See, really, that's what Nicodemus wanted to do. If we were to look up Nicodemus' biography, at this point in his life, what he wanted up top was Pharisee, religious leader, man of influence, expert in the things of God, and maybe somewhere down the list, he would say, follower of Christ. But Jesus is saying, to enter my kingdom, your allegiance, your identity, the most important thing about you is follower of Christ. And the only way to make that the most important thing about you in a new life is for your old life to end. Jesus says there's only one way into the kingdom of God. You have to be born again. We don't like born again. Born again is drastic. It's out there. I don't know if you're familiar with that term or not. In the 70s, it was a big deal. People, it was almost like it was a denomination, right? Like, are you one of those born-agains? They're kind of expressive and weird and out there. Well, based on what Jesus said, there's really, it's not a denomination. There's really only one kind of Christian, born again. That's the only kind there is. The kind that don't just go, well, I added Jesus and a little bit of the church stuff to my other things, but there are a lot of things that define me. Jesus is saying, no. Those who enter my kingdom, first and foremost, their old life has passed away and their new life in me has begun. Now, I grew up on the West Coast, in the Pacific Northwest. There was no cultural advantage to being a Christian. It wasn't like, well, kind of everybody assumes on Easter and Christmas, everybody's going to church. They didn't. They just did whatever they did every other day. So if you're a Christian, as a young person on the West Coast, it's like, you're a weirdo. Now, the thing was okay is I was already kind of a weirdo, so I just rolled with it. But, but to be, what Jesus is saying is, you gotta be ready to be like, okay, people are gonna say, what's the deal with that guy? He's different, he's not the same. When I think of Born Again, I also think of this book, incredible book that impacted my life. True story of a man named Chuck Colson. Chuck Colson was a brilliant lawyer. He actually was very successful, went to the Ivy League. He became one of the chief strategists in Nixon's White House. Some people called him Nixon's hatchet man. And when Watergate went down, he was one of the primary people who was arrested and thrown in jail. 
And he's reflected in jail as a 40-year-old man sitting behind bars thinking, how can my friends and I, the smartest Ivy League educated strategists on the world, we couldn't fool people with Watergate. So how could a ragtag collection of fishermen and tax collectors and ex-Pharisees come together and fool the whole world that this Jesus died and rose again and the whole thing was a fake. He said, it must be real. And there at 40 years old, in prison, he gave his life to Christ. And the old Chuck that brought him to that moment was gone. He spent the next 40 years of his life serving and ministering in prisons and changed the world. That's what it means to be born again. One life ends so a new life can begin. What's Jesus saying? What does he want us to see about entering his kingdom? Well, if you haven't realized by now, the first thing is we must be born again. This is dramatic. It's drastic. We're kind of like, let me just kind of ease into it. We're more non-committal. It's hard for us to understand concepts like born again because we like a couple things. You're like, I don't know if I like those things. Jed, don't speak for me. We'll just, maybe just think about it for a second and tell me if you like them. Two things we like is we like to be able to customize our lives. We like that and we like control. We're like, well, I don't know that I customize that li my life that much. Really? Really? Like your smartphone and your computers and all of our technology has customized our life so much. Like we don't even need grocery lists anymore. They tell us what we're going to get. We, you, we go to a restaurant. You ever gone to a restaurant recently with your friends? These poor waitresses, right? Like waitress comes over. What would you like? The menu's already big enough. I was a waiter before. I, I feel their pain. But you go up to the waitress and you're like, can I have a chicken sandwich? But I don't want the bread. I would like lettuce. And could you chop it up? You mean a chicken salad? No, I want the dressing on the side. And then I want this. And then can I have this? And no croutons, of course, because they'll kill you. And then maybe like a nut mix. And I'm looking at them going like, do you think there's any chance they're going to be in the ballpark to what you just ordered? They're like, it's fine. I do this all the time. I'm like, we know you do it all the time. Anyways. Not to incriminate anyone. So the restaurants are getting smarter. They're just like, we're just going to put the food out. You tell us what you want. You walk on through. Everything's going to be a buffet. Everything's going to become Chipotle, right? <laughs> or we go to the grocery store, right? Like, we like control. Maybe you can relate to this. I was the guy at the grocery store who'd be like, what's taking so long? Hurry it up. Let's move it. Let's keep it going, right? So the grocery store figured out we feel this way. So they just got rid of the checkers. They're just like, check yourself out. I don't know the buttons. I'm looking up, what is a lime? How do I, what is even the number? I don't even know how to do, I went to Costco the other day. Costco's, how did Costco decide self-checkout? You ever seen the ladies? Those are, they're skilled. They're the guys running the things, they're pressing numbers and buttons. That's way too complicated for me. But they're like, you guys want control? Take control. Some of you are like, yes, finally. Here's the challenge, right? Like, we like control. We like to customize things. Born again is not that. Born again is... One life stops, so a new life can begin. It's a picture of surrender. Many times people come to church, and this is okay. It's great. It's how we start. We think, well, I'm going to do a little of the church thing, and I'll go with my friends, and what my friends are into, I'll just kind of do a little of that, and I'll adapt it and customize it. Here's the problem. It's very frustrating trying to live a kingdom life without being born again. Like, why isn't it working? The thing that I'm doing looks like the thing everybody else is doing, but I don't have what they have. It's because there's no way to skip that step. What does it mean to be born again? Your old life stops so that a new life can begin. It's not behavior modification. It's not here's a list of things to stop doing and, and here's the things to start doing as if it were resolutions. It's deeper than that. 
It's not just cultural assimilation. It's not just you come into a place like Milestone and I watch and I join the group and I grab the guide and I got the shirt and I went to the event and I do the stuff. All that is beneficial, but none of that is what gives you a relationship with Jesus. See, Jesus did not come to make bad people good or to make good people better. Jesus came to bring dead people back to life. That's what the gospel is. And until you admit, God, my way's broken. I've lived my life trying to do it my way, and I can't produce the kingdom life on my own. Only in that place are you able to receive what he came to give you. It's not adding a little Jesus to make a better version of you. It's a surrender to find who you truly are in him. Here's the second thing he wants us to see. When we're born again, there's clear evidence. There's evidence. Jesus is so good. Hasn't he's so patient? And can he, he'll walk with you in a process. I, I love this about him. He, he offers his kingdom to everyone while changing his kingdom for no one. Have you ever thought about that? Jesus went to the people who would say, not them, never them. It couldn't, no, no, no work of God could ever reach that group. Jesus said, oh yeah, watch this. Jesus offered his kingdom to prodigals and to Pharisees, to tax collectors and to zealots, to the down and out and to the up and out. He invited them all and said, you all have a place in my kingdom. But what he didn't say was, you all have the ability to make the kingdom whatever you want it to be. There is one king in this kingdom, and it's not us. And he has a culture, and he has values, and he's not into taking it up for a vote. See, two things can be true at the same time. Jesus can love people and condemn sin. And the truth is, the reason why Jesus condemns sin is not because he's trying to keep you out on a good time. He condemns sin because he loves people. He doesn't want you uh, pursuing and putting your hope in things that are going to let you down. And not just let you down, but kill you. John said it this way. As later in life, I, I pray this is my prayer. I pray this is your prayer. In his gospel, he reflects and he's like, how great is the love of God that he might give us the right to be called his children. And that's what we are. That's what he says in his epistle. What an incredible opportunity, not on the basis of what we can do or what we know, but if we'll stop and surrender and receive him, Jesus will give us his kingdom. It doesn't matter who your parents were. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter what ethnicity or what nation you come from, what your skin color is. It doesn't matter what you do, know or don't know, who you know or who you don't know. If you'll receive him, Jesus will come and offer you his kingdom. I've been reading this story my whole life and I'm preparing for this series. I don't know if I've ever seen this before. I thought of this as a one-off conversation between Jesus and Nicodemus, but you know, this isn't the only time that Nicodemus shows up in the Bible Remember, this is John later in life reflecting on what happened. So the story goes on, and John 3, there's no resolution. There's no moment where Nicodemus goes, now I can see and I surrender. None of that happens. They just leave. There's no resolution. John 7, though, there's an encounter between the Pharisees and the temple guard. 
And they're talking, and the Pharisees want to arrest Jesus and throw him in jail. And they ask the guards, why haven't you done this yet? And they said, because the people love them. And then all of a sudden, a man stands up to the Pharisees and says, maybe we should give this Jesus a chance. That man is Nicodemus. And you know what his friends, who he cared about their opinion, when he went on their behalf, you know what his friends said? They said, shut up, Nicodemus. It's my paraphrase. He said, are you a man from Galilee? Are you throwing yourself in with him? And then Nicodemus is gone. We don't hear about him until all the way at the end. John chapter 19, Jesus has done what he said he would do. He went to a cross. He was beaten. He was crucified. While many of Nicodemus' friends looked on in approval, the, the disciples go, several of his disciples go to get his body to prepare it for burial. Secret disciples. Why? Because they were afraid. They didn't want anybody to know they were committed to Jesus. And one of the men who did that, famous man in the Bible, Joseph of Arimathea, he paid for it. But one of the other men who went to get Jesus' body because his life had been changed was Nicodemus. Think about that. I imagine John talking to Nicodemus. John, do you remember how he loved you? Do you remember where he met you? Do you remember where you started? Think about where he brought you. Think about what happened. Nicodemus, I'm proud of you for, for following Jesus and for changing and for growing. How good is our God that he didn't leave you where you were when you came and in your pride and your arrogance and you acted like you knew it all. He didn't leave you in that place, Nicodemus. He loved you and was patient. He received you and now you'll spend eternity with your master in his kingdom. How good is our God that Jesus who did that for Nicodemus who did it for John, he's been doing it all over the place in our environment. We've been telling you the story about a man named Tyler who was coming to church just because his wife and his daughter wanted him to. And it's, he said somewhere along the way something happened. I would just show up and try to endure and sit through it. But all of a sudden, it was as if God was speaking just to me like everyone came just so I could hear God. That's how Jesus does it. I saw him after the last service. He got baptized last week. I think about a man named Tony who came to service last night and after the service he said, Jed, this, this was my moment. I had questions, I had challenges, but, but God showed himself. I gave my life to Christ. I got born again. I think about Lucas, a young man in our environment, comes from a tough home. He started experimenting with substances at 15. In 2021 he was playing college football and he started to lean more into a partying lifestyle. He said in his own words that when he hit an all-time low, after multiple days, Jesus came to him and said, your new life starts now, and your new life starts with me. He didn't know what that meant. He, even, he, he was like, what is happening? I don't even know what to do with that. So he found some friends, and they came to church, and before long, he gave his life to Christ. Now he's going to Milestone College, serving in retreats. Last weekend, he got baptized. Story, yes. Story after story after story after story, but it's really not about Nicodemus or Tyler or Lucas or Tony, as incredible as their story may be. It's really about your story. See, as we go on this journey and we get guides and we study the kingdom of God and we learn together, all oh, that's incredible. I believe it's going to change your life. But it would be poor leadership on our part if we invited you on a journey without giving you the opportunity to see the kingdom. Not just to come into an environment and benefit from the warmth 
and the friendliness and to be around God, but to have a genuine relationship with God. Not on the basis of what anyone else is doing, but that you know that your old life has stopped and a new life, not just try harder, not just spiritual information, but a genuine life-giving relationship with the God who created you. You can have that. Let's pray. Just ask for a moment here at our Keller campus and in our other campuses, unless it's an emergency, emergency, don't move around. Just for a moment. You're here and you say, Jed, I, I, I never knew that's what it meant to have a relationship with God. I, I didn't understand that our old life stops and our new life begins in Him. I, I didn't realize that it wasn't just about trying harder to be spiritual, but I gotta be born again. This can be your moment right here. You don't have to clean yourself up. You don't have to learn a bunch of new things. Just in your heart, if you'll just believe in him and just say, Jesus, I wanna know you. I wanna be included in your kingdom. I want a relationship with you. I, I, I repent, which just means I change my mind. I, I don't put my hope and my trust in my better way. I, I'm all in with you and your kingdom. Just make it your words. Right there, just say, Jesus, I thank you for dying on the cross for me and rising from the dead and, and inviting me into a relationship with the perfect God. Thank you, God. I, I repent of my sin. Just make it your words. Right where you're at. He'll receive you in this moment. Your old life will end and your new life will begin. If you prayed that prayer, if you said those words with everybody's head bowed at all of our different locations, I'm so proud of you. I don't want to embarrass you. I'm not going to call you down to the front, but, but I have something for you. And so I want to know who prayed with me. If you prayed with me, would you just raise your hand? I have a little gift. I want to give you a Bible, and I want to give you a little book about what it means to take uh, uh, closer steps to Jesus. Just raise your hand. Raise it up high. Our ushers have cards. They want to give you a card. They want to help you take this next step in your relationship with Jesus. They're in Hazlitt. They're in McKinney. They're online. Last service, four people online gave their lives to Christ. This can be your moment. Your new life can begin. Jesus, I thank you for every person giving their lives to you who are being born again. God, what an incredible privilege to be in an environment. Lord, it's no small thing. This isn't about a church. This isn't about me or my words or, or my message. This is about you changing lives. You come and offering your kingdom. You coming to rescue us, Lord, to see what we can't see, to invite us into things that we could never produce on our own. So we thank you, Jesus. I ask that you would receive all the honor, all the glory, all the praise, and that you would continue to do what only you could do to reach people and build lives and advance your kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to this week's message. If there's anything we can do to help you in your walk with Jesus, please don't hesitate to reach out through our website at milestonechurch.com. And if you found this podcast helpful, leave a review on the podcast app or your favorite podcast platform. We hope you have a great week.